and welcome to Bipolar by Coastal. I'm Maria. And I'm Anna. And if you couldn't tell, we're twins. Maria's in Brooklyn. And Anna's in Baltimore. Our voices sound kind of similar, so pro tip. If you hear teeny tiny little cat steps, that's probably Maria. And if you hear someone with a sexy rasp, that's Anna. We're no longer by Coastal. But we're still bipolar. Forever! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are here with a very exciting guest to kick off our schizophrenia slash schizoaffective slash I'm sure we'll learn lots of new terms before the end of the series with Rose Parker. So Rose, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name's Rose. I run the page Psychosis Sensitivity. That's positivity with an S after the P. I'm a schizophrenia and psychosis educator and advocate. My work is mostly on my Instagram page that I use to talk about my experience with schizophrenia as well as comorbidities. I like to educate from a scientific perspective. I also write essays. I have a podcast that's not currently active, but I've maintained the sizable archive. I have a bachelor's in psych with a minor in medieval studies. My goal is to start public discussions about schizophrenia and psychosis to change how it's viewed in the public consciousness to change how it's treated and to help people with schizophrenia and psychosis. Amazing. Thank Amazing. you. This is a bipolar podcast. So I, I know there's like some overlap and a lot of people are just going to be like more well-educated about mental illness in general. But would you mind giving us like a short little definition of schizophrenia like that you, you use or, or how you see it? Or how it shows up for you? Schizophrenia mm. is a neurodevelopmental condition. The foundations for the condition are laid in the DNA. They begin expressing during pregnancy. And there is no like singular schizophrenia gene. It's lots of little genetic mutations and epigenetic changes. Mm -hmm. And as a person experiences environmental stressors in pregnancy, in early infancy, in childhood, these genetic and epigenetic changes are triggered and the person develops differently cognitively. It is a form mm -hmm. of neurodivergence. It is inherent to the person. It affects every aspect of the nervous system. It affects the neuroendocrine system. It is a physical condition mm -hmm. as much as it is a psychological one. Yeah. Thank you. First off, thank you so much for letting us, like, telling us because <laughs> Anne and I are like truly coming into this pretty fresh. I'm just so grateful to you for like sharing your story and educating us, even though it's like fully not something you like had to do. But I was wondering how, so how did you personally get your diagnosis? So I've experienced symptoms of schizophrenia all, mm -hmm. and psychosis all my life, but I started seeking mental health care for myself when I was 18. When I started at university, I sought help from mm -hmm. the therapy office at my school. Mm -hmm. I showed up, I believe it was the first week of class that I showed up there. And mm -hmm. I got myself an intake appointment and I got with my first therapist and I, I really liked her, but she struggled to treat me, but I'm mm -hmm. very grateful that she kept me on and she kept me on for longer than she was really supposed to because I was struggling financially at the time and couldn't afford the co-payments of a private therapist. But anyway, that's right. That's a little. Mm. That's a little beyond the point. But, um, <laughs> we'll support it. I mean, it's not the most uncommon story. <laughs> yeah, but um, the 
The first diagnoses I received were PTSD and a general psychosis diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, the, then in my sophomore year of university, my second year for those outside the United States, um, I had my psychotic reset, as I call it, the episode mm-hmm. that separates my adult and childhood psychosis. And that's when I started seeking psychiatric medication help. And I went through a slurry of misdiagnoses. Mm-hmm. At one point, I was misdiagnosed so much. I had seven psychiatric labels. Most of them were wrong. I went on medical leave from university. Mm-hmm. In 2018, I came back to the D.C. area, and I switched psychiatrist. I switched to a practice here in the area, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. doctor sent me for testing by a clinical psychologist. Clinical psychologists are therapist scientists. They have doctorate degrees. Their clinical specialization is testing. Mm-hmm. Some clinical psychologists are only diagnosticians, while some focus on research and some focus on therapy. Mm-hmm. But I had extensive testing done, and I was diagnosed with schizoaffective dissociative identity disorder, functional neurological disorder, and PTSD. So my diagnoses were significantly narrowed down, and they were diagnosed what I felt was accurate. Since then, my diagnoses have changed. I've mm-hmm. been in remission from my bipolar symptoms for over five years now. So my diagnosis has been narrowed down to schizophrenia for usefulness sake, accuracy sake, because it's uh-huh. not really helpful to think of it as schizoaffective when I'm no longer having bipolar episodes. Mm-hmm. The functional neurological disorder, that's when you have neurological symptoms that are psychogenic in origin. I used to have um, paralysis and mutinous episodes. I no longer have those. However, I do have a psychogenic stutter that is thankfully getting better, but has been really bad in recent times. It's why the podcast went on hold. Mm. I do have issues of psychogenic deafness and vision loss at times still. So that's kind of an in-between, but the worst symptom, the psychogenic paralysis has thankfully been gone for many years. And the DID, I successfully fused my altars with help from my wonderful therapist, Dr. B. Mm. And the PTSD is pretty well controlled, but I do experience flares. Dr. B later diagnosed me with an unspecified anxiety related to my schizophrenia. So wow. that's my diagnostic profile. Yeah. That's my diagnostic profile yeah. and sort yeah. of where yeah. I am in relation to my diagnoses. Wow, it sounds like quite the journey. A lot of different diagnoses. Yeah and a lot of different doctors and uh, like therapists and clinical psychologists and testing i think we have a bunch of follow-up questions after that so we'll just start like yeah kind of at the first one so and it, it reminds me of um mm-hmm. bipolar barbie's interview she also had a lot of so many different yeah. diagnoses that she went through in order to like get to what what she felt were, were the accurate ones yeah yeah i mm-hmm. sorry go ahead rose i was just gonna say i'm very grateful for the clinician that did my testing because she mm-hmm. put in a lot of time extra time and was very it was very thorough and she, like when i got the interview report from the interview section of the diagnosis mm-hmm. there were absolutely no mm-hmm. mistakes it, from what i had told her so I, wow. I i got a very good clinician for that so i, I do feel it was accurate okay mm-hmm. i was like okay i have two follow-up questions one's like more like uh nuts and bolts and then one's just maybe just a comment like i'm just i'm just struck by the fact that you know you have your bachelor's in psychology but that obviously doesn't make you as well versed in all of this as it sounds like your experience has and also you have a knowledge that's way beyond a bachelor's in psychology and all of this and obviously part of that is yeah your beyond role as like an educator but i'm also struck by the fact that you went through all of this and so learning by experience which is just i feel like uh <laughs> i guess i'm just i'm feeling like very uninformed compared to you and on all of this stuff and i was wondering like 
So with the testing, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to make sure before um, we move on. So it was like an interview and then she had the scales that she was asking you questions on. And then was there like questions about your symptoms and like observations? Was it that kind of stuff? So like the semi-structured interview, Mm -hmm. it's sets of standardized questions about symptoms and experiences. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer has some room for flexibility. And then the indexes are things Mm -hmm. the patient fills out. And then the clinician grades those. And they have standardized grading scales that indicate certain things. The IQ testing, some of them were solving puzzles. There was one that was like vocabulary definitions. So there were different types of tests that would have had to be graded differently. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, like, what were some of the symptoms that made you make that initial appointment at the counseling center? At my university? Yes. Yeah. Well, I figured out I was experiencing hallucinations when Mm -hmm. I was 14. Okay. Because I I was in foster care. My mother has hoarding disorder. Mm -hmm. And I spent Mm -hmm. 11 months in foster care when I was 14 to 15 because of it. And I was the first um, five months I spent with my maternal grandmother, who mm-hmm. also lives lived in the area. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I would see I started experiencing really frequent visual hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And um, the things I was seeing were just so fantastical and just unreal. And I knew mm-hmm. they couldn't literally be happening. Because there was just no possible way. And that the only explanation I could think of was I am hallucinating. Right. And I began to figure thing more that more things were psychosis, though I didn't know the word for that until I got to mm-hmm. college. I began to figure out that more things were hallucinations that I was experiencing as I got older. Mostly mostly the the visual hallucinations and the voices. I didn't I didn't develop as the insight so much into my delusions and other mm. psychosis until I got more towards an adult. But I knew I was experiencing hallucinations. Right. And I knew that wasn't normal. Right. To an extent. Mm. Mm. There's an extent that I thought everyone had strange experiences. Mm. But I knew the thought that I was, ex- that I began to realize that I was experiencing beyond the normal. I was right. sort of of two minds about it. Like, mm. this is normal. This is not normal. I kind of went mm. back and forth. Yeah. Um, and um, I also figured out I had PTSD. Um, I, I, I had an isolated view of what had caused it. I thought I just mm. had PTSD for my time in foster care. I didn't right. realize I had the mm. CPTSD and how extensive my trauma mm. was, in part because mm. some of the symptoms developed later in adulthood. But I, I knew I had post-traumatic stress from at least that isolated thing. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew I needed help. Yeah. Can I ask, like, if it's not too um, invasive and you can fully say no, but, um, like, what were what were some of the visual hallucinations that you were like, wait, this can't be real, like, this can't, or this can't be physically happening to me right now? Well, I saw a floating wedding cake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Uh, (laughs) I I had a poodle appear in my bedroom at four in Mm -hmm. the morning and run Mm -hmm. up and jump on me and then disappear into thin air. Yeah. There were giant spiders that I could manipulate with my hands Mm -hmm. that were spindly and like didn't look like real spiders. Yeah. Mm. This one might trigger our friends here. (sighs) I mean, to talk, not upset them. There were birds Mm -hmm. that would appear in the uh, library of my grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. And would fly around and then disappear into the walls in a puff of feathers. Wow. Rose is surrounded by birds right now. Like <laughs> like physically, literally surrounded by birds. And I can see them too. <laughs> she has a bunch of them. Yeah. Sometimes the word bird triggers them to talk. That's why That's I said so that. That's so funny. Oh, I wish <laughs> I wish <that. laughs> um, yeah. And when you were seeing these, what were you feeling? Were you like upset? Were you just curious? Like what, what was it going through your head? Well, I believe the hallucinations were an externalization of the stress I was experiencing. I believe they yeah. were a way of mm. processing the very negative emotions I was experiencing. It was mm. a very dark mm. time in general in my life. Right. Cause I mean, I was going through horrible feelings with the foster care mm. and we were going through a lot of difficult things as a family. It was a very difficult time in my parents' marriage. We almost lost our house to foreclosure. Right. I was being bullied very heavily in school. Mm, mm. It was just a very difficult time. And the foster care situation was absolutely horrible. My maternal grandmother was very abusive to me. And then when I went into actual foster care, the first foster family I was placed in were very abusive in new and exciting ways. And then it wasn't until (laughs) I got with the last foster family that I got any peace at all that year. Right. Wow. Oh, I'm so. They were wonderful. So the last foster family (laughs) I was with for like two months, they were Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the first nine months or so of that were complete hell. And fortunately, by the time I got to Mm -hmm. the last ones, I was kind of a bitch because of everything I'd been through. But they were very nice Mm -hmm. to me. Well, we'll allow it. (laughs) Earlier, you said two things that I was curious about. So you were saying one that schizoaffective disorder has bipolar elements. And then you also mentioned fusing your alters. And I was wondering if you could answer the first part about the bipolar schizoaffective part first, and then maybe talk about what the process was like for fusing your alters. So the definition of schizoaffective is something that kind of changes based on who you ask. Totally. Mm -hmm. So for me, I view the schizophrenia as like the inherent neurodivergence that I have, like Mm -hmm. my core neurodivergence. Mm -hmm. And I viewed the bipolar as a symptom that developed as a result of trauma. It's something that developed around when I entered puberty and it's something that went into remission slash recovery when my DID fused and went into recovery. Gotcha. So for me, I viewed the bipolar as an expression of the trauma. It was an externalization of the trauma. So that's why that's what part of the reason why I I prefer the schizophrenia diagnosis because I don't totally. view it as something that mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that's going to reoccur. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that way for everyone. I think that different people can have different experiences and different causes of the symptoms. I think totally. these conditions are complex and can have multiple causes. I think that's just my personal experience with this condition. Gotcha. I wouldn't want to invalidate anyone else's experience. Oh, fully. Or how they view themselves. For the whole podcast, we're just speaking to personal experience for sure. Yeah, thank you yeah. guys. And then can you define DID for any listeners who might not have heard of that? DID is dissociative identity disorder. It's mm-hmm. a condition that develops. It, it's an extreme form of structural dissociation. Basically, person experiences trauma in early development 
and their brain doesn't fully integrate the different parts of the personality mm. and you have to reintegrate those parts later because they develop dissociative barriers. Not everyone does do the reintegration, but that's what the usual treatment is. It's up to the individual what they want to do. So for me, fusing the ultras was the best choice because I, because the structural dissociation to that extent was completely disabling. But mm -hmm. I think it's a personal choice how people want to handle their conditions. Everyone's different. It's a very misunderstood and mm -hmm. stigmatized condition. A lot of people think it's either untreatable and scary or they think it's fake. It's not fake. Right. It's just an extreme form of dissociation. Mm -hmm. And it's highly treatable if you have clinicians that are trained in structural dissociation and structural dissociation techniques. Gotcha. And what was it like reintegrating? So Dr. B is my therapist that I've had since 2018. Mm. She's the one that helped me to integrate slash fuse. And we mainly did it through art therapy. And basically what I had to do was establish communication with the dissociative parts, which they sort of started doing on their own. Because mm -hmm. before, about February 2018, my DID had been covert. I would have episodes of lost time, but didn't really know why they happened. Starting February 2018, the ultras started making themselves known. Mm. But once the ultras started making themselves overt, I had to start getting to know them and communicating with them and learning like what trauma it was they hold, what they wanted me to know. And I mm. had to let those parts of me know that I could give them a sense of safety, a sense of security, mm. or meet the wounds that they held. And that allowed the integration. And the integration of my three older alters was a very physical, almost psychedelic event. The integration of my younger primary alter, the child one, was mm -hmm. a gradual event over time. After the integration of the alters for several years, even into the present, I've dealt with fragments, not fully mm -hmm. dissociated parts, so they can't cause amnesia, they can't take control of the body, mm -hmm. but memory-holding parts that I've had to talk with and work with in the inner world and have that same establishing a sense of safety, communicating. And even once the altars are fused, you can still sense them to an extent mm -hmm. and communicate with them. It's not the same as if you'd never had DID. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to talk to yourself and learn what that part of yourself wants. And you have to learn to be kind to yourself. I think that my experience with DID has really informed a lot of my ideology with the psychosis liberation and the radical self-acceptance and self-love because you have to have that sort of radical self-acceptance and self-love to give the sense of safety to an altar to fuse it totally because the altar is you so like that's that's really interesting and like that must have been such oh my god tough work to do as well to get in touch with all of that and start to work through it so like bravo to you for doing all, the, all of that and living with it before. And I wonder too, so you talked about the idea of radical self-love and um, like psychosis, um, positivity and breaking down the stigma around it. Can you talk a little bit more about how you got there on your journey and, and what that's been like for you to like embrace that and start spreading that message? Psychosis positivity is how mm -hmm. I channeled most of that energy and most of that work. 
And initially, I just started psychosis sensitivity or psych Mm -hmm. as I lovingly refer to it, when I'm talking to people on Tumblr in 2018. I was in treatment and I was Mm -hmm. following a bunch of mental health blogs and stuff Mm -hmm. and the positivity blogs. And I found a lot of it really didn't resonate with me or made me feel kind of excluded. Mm -hmm. So I just started making these really shitty graphics. (laughs) They're kind of corny about psychosis. And I got a lot of attention really fast. Mm -hmm. And I just kept going. And as I went back to school in 2019 and started learning more, Hmm. like I took a sociology course my first semester back in 2019 Mm -hmm. that really helped develop my opinions. That semester and that winter, I also read a lot of feminist literature from mm-hmm. like the 20th century and the and the modern era as well. Audre Lorde is one writer that really stuck to me. And then as I got through college and I began writing more on the blog, I started the Instagram in 2019. I remember I had a lot of like anger to work out mm-hmm. at first and hurt. So at first I had to work through a lot of emotions with regards to my psychosis and how people yeah. treated me in the past. So it also became an emotional mm-hmm. vessel at first. But as I went through college and learned more, read more theory and developed my ideas, read philosophy and stuff and learned more about the science and drew things from the world of therapy as well, it all sort of came together to blend into my ideas. So when you talk about getting to a place of like radical self-love and radical self-acceptance, that's something that we talk about on the podcast a good amount and something that, something that we sometimes struggle with. And I was wondering if you have any things that in particular have helped you along your journey with that or like any tips or books that you've read or anything. Well, part of the reason I do the education about the science behind the condition is because I think people understanding the biology of their condition, mm. the the science behind their condition, I think it helps destigmatize internally to understand why you're doing what you're doing, what's causing, because people self-stigmatize a lot and they blame themselves for things that are symptoms. And I think if people understand that what they're going through is something a lot of people go through and is normal for someone with their diagnosis, it helps to destigmatize it. I think also mm-hmm. talking about that from a personal anecdote perspective can provide the same sort of sure. destigmatization. And I mean, you'll see people say that talking about these conditions as biological doesn't destigmatize them to the public because they still see us as weird. Well, they're going to see us as weird or bad <sighs> as long as they hate psychosis on principle. Right. So I want psychotic people to love themselves, even if the world doesn't love us. And we need to understand ourselves in order to love ourselves, I think. Fully. So we need to have some level of self-awareness. And if there's information that can help us, I think we should use it. If people don't yeah. like what I write about or they don't like the perspective I'm taking, they don't have to follow me. They can mute me. They can block me. You know, mm. you don't have to look at my work if you don't like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that was in your um, psychosis spots, your psych saws, is that the correct appreciation? Yeah. Yes. If you can't pronounce psychosis sensitivity, you can just say psychosis, psychosis sensitivity. People do it all the time. <laughs> well, I was realizing I'd mostly seen it written and I like, had just like 
glazed right through the fact that there's like an S after that second P. It's a um, bad pun. It's a bad attempt. No, it's really good. Since you said it, but I, was, I was just like, oh, right, duh. That makes- I mean, you're talking to two people who have a podcast called Bipolar by Coastal, and we're on the same coast at this point. So it so. doesn't even, yeah, yours is <laughs> or, way well or well thought out. We're naming stuff for yourself. So if it makes you laugh, then it's perfect. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, so you, you mentioned recently the idea of paranoia and how the experience and i'm going to paraphrase and then you correct me and expand on it please if you can but so the idea of paranoia and how when you're experiencing psychosis and you have that paranoia people then do treat you differently <laughs> like it feeds into itself and i i had i'll just speak to myself like i had that experience like when i was in uh, my like major manic episode um before, like when I was being hospitalized at hospital hospitalized oh my god hospitalized oh my god um it's a horrible thing so it's a horrible word but i was became very paranoid um when i was like maria like grabbed the passports like we gotta get out of here like everyone's coming after me and on the one hand like you know was anyone trying to kidnap me probably not but on the other hand, they were trying to get me into treatment that I didn't want to be a part of. And so, and like, they were treating me differently because of like those, like what I was experiencing and how I was behaving. And so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit around your experience with that and like your thoughts around how um, paranoia operates in those contexts. Yeah, paranoia, I think it's one of the most, um, it's one of the most the word that's coming to mind is insidious, but I don't want to use that. But I don't really like that word because okay. of the negative connotation. Like pervasive but or pervasive sticking symptoms. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's a great one. Um, mm-hmm. it, it sticks. It's mm-hmm. the hardest to get rid. It's one of the hardest to get rid of. And it, and it creeps up on you because mm-hmm. I think, and I think it does, I think it does build gradually, gradually with social defeat because. Mm-hmm. Growing up, you know, you you are different, but you're not so different at first. You know, right. I think I was more like a quote unquote normal child when I was in like preschool than I was when I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so definitely, I was definitely more normal, quote unquote, <laughs> when I was younger, yeah. younger, younger than when mm-hmm. I was a teen. And the bullying and exclusion it does gradually build on you and eventually you just sort of get the idea well screw them i'm gonna do my own thing and Mm -hmm. that doing your own thing builds you into the spiral of the psychosis world and the self-isolation which builds the hallucinations and the disorganization and the detachment from reality and of course when people are threatening you or doing behavior that can come across as threatening it can build your paranoia that they're going to hurt you Mm -hmm. even if it's largely empty or just symbolic like i remember getting sexually harassed when i was in ninth grade i was sexually harassed very frequently by a group of boys and i was already in a very aggravated state that made me Mm -hmm. very paranoid because i could Mm -hmm. be losing my home i didn't know where I was going to be, you know, very, right, quite, very, right. like, because I was constantly right. getting shuffled from different houses and the fo- the bad foster family were constantly sending me to respite care. Mm-hmm. And the sexual harassment made me develop a paranoia that one of these boys in particular was going to rape me if I came to school. 
So right. I began having like panic attacks and mm. fear over going to school that lasted w- well for another year mm. until he left the school. Mm. I developed a fear yeah. of school and I already had school avoidance behavior. So right. it just made it worse. Right. And I was already mm. bullied for my school avoidance, which was complicated by the fact that I was chronically ill. Mm. But I already had school avoidance right. with behavior that was exasperated by being chronically ill from the bullying I already faced. Right. So that sort of shows how it can build on itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'll fuck that, right? Like that you didn't have a safe place to be and that um, you were getting harassed in that way and that it was being fed onto by your mind too. I mean, that's like a horrific cocktail of things. And yeah, you can definitely see how that would feed into itself and build over time. Yeah, too. And, and also the mm-hmm. harassment just strengthened the psychosis in other ways because the reason i was getting sexually harassed so much is because mm. i was having a religious mania mm. and i was wearing a purity mm. ring that i talked about mm-hmm. and the sexual harassment that i experienced just drove a sense of persecution right which drove me deeper into the religious mania right, right. right. oh this is like so interesting to me um i feel like it's really like scratching a part of my brain that i hadn't thought about in a while in terms of my mania like i I think I've told myself that it wasn't really psychotic, but if we're, <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I, we're for being honest, like I had like the religious aspects and also the things that I saw with other you know people in the hospital with me or an outpatient with me who were going through similar things and how hard it was to get support and help because like even like I can imagine that uh, when you talked about the sexual harassment, people were like either didn't take it seriously or thought that you were feeding into it by talking so much about like your purity ring or whatever the fuck it was and i know it like became very difficult for me to uh get support in those situations because like i just i was paranoid about the people who were supposed to be taking care of me and also a lot of them were really fucking bad at their jobs and not helping and so i know it's not to the same extent or like cycle as what you were in but i like really appreciate that conversation it's like something i'm gonna think a lot about after we get off this call so i don't feel like i have my thoughts fully formed out but i really appreciate that yeah i'm I'm thinking about like with the paranoia too like when i was going through my manic episode i or hypomanic or or whatever you know it was but i remember being super paranoid as well about my interactions with people and again like that's because they were trying to get me into treatment which i didn't want to go to and also i was behaving extremely erratically compared to how i normally was but was high functioning enough to pass and be able to go to work and meet new people all the time and i was you know and so i was in the world behaving in a way that was not usual for the people closest to me to see. And I know very off-putting for them and also for a lot of people that I met at the time. And as someone who has a loved one uh, who has bipolar disorder, Anna, <laughs> um, <laughs> I empathize a lot with what that's like to see. But then to be surrounded as you were with people who didn't love you and weren't looking out for you, I, nobody should have to go through that. And um, I'm really sorry that you did. And, and I'm just so impressed that you've been able to turn it into something literally positive. Uh, <laughs> how are you saying it? Po- <laughs> Spos- Psych sauce. Sausativity. Psych sauce. I was looking at these two dumb bitches. Rose is like, oh, when do I get to go? 
<laughs> she's uh, you like two, you, you two are great okay. <laughs> <laughs> thanks rose <laughs> i should have just said psychosis positivity no i like it i really <laughs> like it i want to emphasize again and i think it's really clever i'm curious with the formation of your page like have you been able to find community with other people who are also schizophrenic because i know that you it doesn't sound like you were ever hospitalized so i'm wondering like how much in, I'm, not, I'm not sure if schizophrenia is a genetic disorder, maybe you have family members with it, but I'm wondering how much you're able to connect with other people who have been through similar things since it is such a, I mean, the human experience uh, is tough in general, but but some of the things that you've been through are pretty unique. And so I'm wondering if you've been able to share it with other people on a more like interpersonal level. Well, actually, I have had a couple hospitalizations. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. In February 2017 and Oof. February 2018, I had two brief hospitalizations. Mm. On Labor Day weekend of this year, I spent two nights in the ER. I'm sorry. Mm. The ER was a bit different. I had a UTI, which oh. prevented my antipsychotics from working. Oh, my God. Just <laughs> don't even tell me that because I have chronic UTIs and I need I need my medication to work. I, I guess they prevent the absorption or the met, met or the oh my god I don't know Jesus exactly. But apparently, it pre- can prevent oh. them from working. And I was going through a personal crisis, and oh, I, I sent yeah. me into a psychotic episode. perfect storm. So I had to I had to spend two nights in the ER getting stabilized on antibiotics. Ugh. Ugh. A UTI alone. Is a personal an, crisis enough for one person to bear? <laughs> <laughs> the, the two in 2017 and 2018 were actual psych mm-hmm. admits mm-hmm. Um, where I was on a right. psych ward. When 2017 was at the hospital by my university, mm-hmm. it was very rural. Mm. And the one in 2018 was a local hospital. And it was partially involuntary. I signed in voluntarily, got there. The hospital was dirty and abusive and racist. So I tried to sign out AMA mm. that they put me on a 48-hour involuntary hold. Yep. Maria famously was never hospitalized for, uh, not yet, sorry, but for mania or bipolar, <laughs> but for strep, like really severe strep. So <laughs> that's what took At her the down. end of my manic episode, <laughs> I, I got strep. And that's had to what go. They wouldn't let me leave because my airways were too closed up. They wouldn't let me leave urgent care. So I was also um, forcibly hospitalized, <laughs> but it was for, uh, and then I became depressed in the hospital because it, it was, the a, it, there wasn't even running water at that point in the hospital because it doesn't matter it was in dc and uh there was something wrong with the pipes but i was asking about um community and whether whether you've been able to connect with other people who are schizophrenic as well sorry i got sorry i got on tangent no no thank you for answering that question yeah Um, yeah but um yeah i have been able to find community i have i've made a lot of friends and i get lots of dms i don't answer all of them but i try to get to as many as i can Mm -hmm. most of the people i talk to have some form of psychosis now yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. real <laughs> yeah we famously don't make friends with people unless we can eventually have them on the podcast which does mean they have to have a pretty severe mental illness so <laughs> that's awesome that's amazing i'm really happy to hear that to wrap up like is there anything that you feel like we missed or that you wanted to say like to people who haven't had a ton of exposure to someone who's schizophrenic or who's doing this work or anything like that I think just that, you know, schizophrenia, it's a part of your body. It's a part of how your brain is designed. Mm. It's not, it's not a defect. It's not a flaw. It's something that needs to be adapted to 
but it's not something that someone should feel shame or self-loathing over. It's not inherently violent. It's something that needs to be adapted to like any struggle in life. And someone struggling because of it isn't also inherently violent or lazy or flawed. It's just different people be affected different ways, but it's uniquely human. It's not something seen in animals. And mm. it's just, it's another way to be human. And people with schizophrenia need help to reduce their s- distress. They need support to adapt to their condition. And we can, we have a lot to contribute to society. We have unique experiences and unique perspectives, mm. but we have different support needs from other people. And that doesn't make us bad. It just, makes us a different type of person and we have every right to love ourselves mm-hmm. and to accept ourselves as we are and i think we should love and accept ourselves as we are but we're just different and that's okay yeah i, lo- I- go off oh, i love that rose. <laughs> yeah it was great rose amazing where can people find you at psychosis positivity psychosis positivity with an s after the p on instagram Sometimes people make fake profiles of me to try and scam my followers. Mm. Mm. So look out for that. She's the one with a ton of followers, in case you're curious. (laughs) I currently have 21K followers, so you can use that to tell it's me. I have a website of the same name. I'm also Mm -hmm. on Medium. I have essays on my website. There's also my lecture from the 2022 Early Psychosis Conference on Catatonia and my catatonia planning sheet which is a living will for people who experience catatonic episodes it's free for anyone to download and use and modify i just ask that if you are a clinician or a medical facility that you credit me if you're a layperson or family member whatever you want gotcha cool all right amazing we'll link rose's podcast as well on the description it's like little it's like shorter like more bite-sized episodes so there are a lot of them even though you're not currently doing it and it's worth a listen the podcast episodes are basically me discussing things that i thought were better discussed vocally than written down hell yeah yeah amazing and it's great oh my well thank you so much for coming on and enjoy the rest of your sunday evening i really appreciate it thank you so much rose Did you hear Jimmy? Meow! Okay.